0: Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox.
1: Hello, everybody. Together with my partner, Randy Ford, I want to welcome you to another episode of the Success Insight podcast. Our guest today is the former president of the Catholic Charities Diocese in Patterson, New Jersey, the executive director of Straight and Narrow, He's a consultant, and he brings over 45 years of business experience, and perhaps most important, he is the new author of the book, Being a Supervisor 1.0, a handbook for the new aspiring and experienced supervisor. Joe Duffy, welcome to the Success Insight Podcast.
0: Thanks. Glad to be here.
1: So, Joe, I, I really... Was uh, uh, really taken aback by this level of experience that you have. You know, 45 years, lots of leadership opportunities, lots of activities, both local, in the nonprofit space, and you know, in, in the New Jersey uh, East Eastern Seaboard area. You know, across the country, and even into uh, South uh, America and into Africa. And it, I think it's safe to say you've been on quite a few rodeos. And I. You know, I'd love to just kind of hear a little bit about your background, you know, the kind of the short version, and then I really want to dive into this new book of yours.
0: Well, I I started my career pursuing a, a religious studies degree and philosophy degree. I was going to be a priest. Growing up in uh, the Catholic Church in the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, you were either going to be the president, an athlete, or a priest, and uh, I wasn't uh, a very good athlete, wasn't particularly interested in politics, so I pursued the seminary. That got me involved in in working with Catholic Charities, and as I uh, continued my studies, I realized that I wasn't called to the priesthood, but I did feel a calling to uh, use my talents to serve others, and so I stayed working with Catholic Charities. At one point, left them uh, because I couldn't afford to work for them when I got engaged, and I moved over to hospital administration, uh, where I worked for 21 years, and then back in 1997, I got a call from the bishop who was a priest of our diocese, so I've known him for uh, many, many years, asking if I would be interested in coming back to run Catholic Charities. So in 1997, I did, and I stayed uh, there for 19 years until I retired, And, and that got me involved with my international travels involved with a sister organization called Catholic Relief Services. So I got to travel with them to South America. And in my retirement, I volunteer for them and I've been to Africa twice. And hopefully I'll be going back again in the fall to do some training with um, agricultural cooperatives, uh, board management training for them.
1: One thing that I didn't see, and you just mentioned it, is you'd spent a lot of time in the healthcare space, healthcare administration. And I'm curious, I mean, that space is just, they're under a lot of pressure both from staffing, constant churning of uh, bringing in qualified, motivated staff. I mean, we're there's a calling to be in healthcare, but there's such a pressure on the healthcare practitioners to continue to deliver the care, just given the constant change in the regulations and the expectations to be in healthcare. And I was curious, as you were, as you had mentioned that, what are some of the similarities in Leading, supervising, managing there versus what you saw as you went back into this role with the with the archdiocese.
0: Yeah, I think the um, there's lots of similarities, uh, maybe I'll start with the major difference, and that I think is a scale. You know, I was working for a Catholic hospital with 3,000 employees, the largest Catholic hospital in the state at that time, uh, with uh, what was in 1990s, a very big budget at uh, about $75 which is small change today. Uh, But being an organization like that, uh, it was a lot more frustrating to move things along, uh, get things done, get decisions, because you're working uh, with so many levels of review and departments and oversight bodies uh, that that uh, really took its strain. Plus, here in New Jersey, at that time, when I joined uh, the Hospital in 1907, 97 they were under what was called a DRG system. And New Jersey was the only state in the country at that point, which made it very easy to run a hospital because in in the DRG system there, the state commissioner set the rates for insurances. So you could predict based on past couple of years admissions, what your revenue was going to be, and you could have a predictable budget while the rest of the country was getting involved with managed care. Then uh, about 10 years into my stay there, the uh, state Supreme Court declared that unconstitutional. So New Jersey had to catch up with the rest of the country. And I've described it as a bloodbath, uh, having to you know, constantly cut to, to make budgets meet to the point where you know, I've, I've found it a challenge to maintain uh, loyalty to the, to the mission, to, especially embracing serving uh, the poor uh, that didn't have insurance law or who were underinsured. So I was uh, really feeling sorry for myself, and I was really very lucky then that one day I started to look for a position, uh, but then I got the call from the bishop, and so I was able to come to uh, a small organization not with with its own hierarchy, uh, but it was something I thought I'd get my hands around and really deal with, and I, I like to Th- see things happen fast. You know, people joke when I have a meeting. If they come ten minutes late, they miss the meeting. We, I, I don't like things to take a long time, and so uh, sure. being in that smaller uh, pond, uh, it was much easier to move things along.
1: And as you're back into uh, doing the work with the archdiocese, the you know you've you've seen a lot of the 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 leaders of the organizations, the the managers, the supervisors, and. What were some of the challenges you saw in the archdiocese be- between those three roles? You have the leaders of the organizations, you have the the supervisors, and you have the managers. And mm-hmm. is there a distinction between the activities of each one of those groups? Or maybe there's only, you know, there, there's a melding of you know, the supervisor and the managers or, mm-hmm. or with the leader?
0: Yeah, I, I think uh, there is a, a difference. Uh, sometimes that's be nuanced uh, uh, among the three. And part of what I try to do uh, in being the leader, you know, the, the, the top leader in the organization is uh, start from the uh, concept of mission and values uh, and then be the champion for that. And all we do with, with, the staff from the line workers to the management and the supervisory staff. But if we're all you know, singing from that common song sheet that uh, this is our mission, this is our purpose, and this should be the lens we do everything for, then the manager can manage that project or that department, the supervisor can oversee and they're overseeing from that common lens and that can, be the source of any question for why we should do something, whether it's why we make a budgeting decision, why we want to ramp up a program, start a new program. Uh, but going back, so we all are working from that common base.
1: In, in talking more about the the, the the book, you know, the uh, Being a Supervisor 1.0, that you've created this handbook, what was the, the gap, if you know, for the sake of a better word, that existed, that prompted you, you know, hey, I need to write, I need to write this book because something's missing here. Yeah.
0: Well, in one sense, it was a a book that was three months in coming. Uh, in another sense, it was 45 years in coming. Uh, I can remember when I uh, first joined the hospital in, in 1976, I became the director of the social work department and had a lot of students uh, that were coming in, um, and I started looking for uh, these were administration students, so I started looking for resource material. And even then, I couldn't find one book I could give them. So I would pull an article here, a book there, tell them to read this, and we discuss it. And I that that for the first time was where I said, I you know I. I wish there was a book that had all the things a new supervisor had to know about it. And then that just continued over the next 45 years. And uh, when I was just about to retire, I was meeting with the HR director at Straight and Arrow, and we were talking about supervision and resource materials. And, you know, I I said I should write that, a book about this. And she said, well, you know, you should. Uh, so that got me thinking, and I was on my first volunteer assignment in Africa, and uh, there wasn't too much to do nights. I was way up, way up in the country in Tanzania, uh, and so I started outlining, well, you know, if I was going to write this book, what would it be, uh, and I came up with it titles, not too far from what was in the final book, and even when I was in Africa, I started emailing uh, former uh, staff uh, over the past 40 years. I worked with saying, well, I'm going to take a shot at this book. This is what I think should be in it. What do you think is missing? What do you have to say about it? And so I tweaked it a little bit. Uh, And then within three months, I had written it. And it it was a short time, but I think it was a short time because during those 45 years, I saved a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I had files on conflict management, on decision making, on time management. I had other books. So it it was a matter of refreshing my memory and then doing some online searching for some more up-to-date material. And similar to how I had done the outline, I then sent chapters, especially employees that had particular interest in different chapter topics. So someone that was having a problem with conflict management, I had them look at the conflict management someone that had trouble uh, with decision-making, had them really look at that and give me their feedback, Uh, found a publisher and got it done.
1: That's fantastic. And by the way, I'm amazed that you got it done in three months and having, you know, and the fact that, you know, this is a lifetime of collecting notes and uh, ideas and, you know, this is how things should be done or this is how not to do things. And then, and you've got all that material at at your fingertips, but and then those three months to pull it together. That's that's no small feat. And uh, I used to equate writing the book as having birthing a baby. It's nice. not easy. It's painful. <laughs> you know, as, as I was looking in the, uh, at the chapters, you know, vetting the organization, looking the part. Uh, you mentioned conflict management, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. Decision making, understanding yourself, understanding others. Are there uh, any of the chapters in this book that, you know, really are near and dear to your heart that like, you know, this, this, this one resonates for me more than the other ones do.
0: Well, they are all important, but if I had to choose, I think the two most important ones and I'll start with the the one, which um, I'm sort of reluctant to start with because it, may send the wrong message to you, the listener about my leadership style. But I was talking to a, a fellow reviewer from the Council on Accreditation on a site visit about two months ago at dinner about the book and about being a supervisor. And he said to me, um, you know, when I became a supervisor, I my mean, boss said to me, are you willing to fire people? And he said to me, if you're not, then don't be a supervisor. And so the chapter on hire right and fire early, you know, hiring right, you know, makes imminent sense. If you hire the right person, then you're going to have to deal with that firing someone. Uh, but most supervisors inherit a workforce, and so you need to assess them. Uh, but I'm stressed going through the process. Don't just hire a warm body because you need to fill that position before so-and-so leaves next week, or you're going to have to pick up the slack because if you hire the wrong person, then you're going to have hiring again and again and again. Uh, but that point about uh, being willing to fire. Uh, and I saw it in my place uh, where I lost uh, a very good uh, administrator who I really had thought might be my successor when I retired. Uh, but you know what? He got tired of picking up the slack for uh one or two people that weren't carrying their water. And that's what's going to happen in a workplace. If you're you're not willing to hold people responsible, you, you put off dealing with something that has to be done, uh, then the better people that are picking up the slack are going to get tired or they're going to stop doing their job too. And you're going to become a mediocre organization. So you have to be willing to uh, pull that plug You know, uh go through a process, a due process, give people a chance, make sure they know what the job is. You've given them the tools. But when that's all said and done, if they're not doing it, then um, I like to say, give them the opportunity to succeed elsewhere. The very last chapter in the book is also very important to me, especially around supervision, and that's self-care. I think supervisors are are guilty of not taking care of themselves, uh, probably very frequently. And if you think of it in in their job description, there's tasks that basically say they're responsible for their people, and they're responsible to their boss. There's nothing in the job description that says they're responsible to themselves. And so they'll make sure an employee gets some time off if they see him struggling or her struggling, and they'll... Uh, stay late to take care of the boss's needs but they won't put themselves first all too often and when I do my workshop on the book I even go through an exercise now where I have the people in the room the supervisor in the room leave with a boilerplate self-care plan and I'm telling them that you need to develop that self-care plan for yourself but share it with someone because if you have something written down that someone else knows about that you can talk to you're going to increase the likelihood that you're going to do it uh, so I really stress for supervisors, uh, first of all, I say, get permission. It's okay to take care of yourself. You know, I like the analogy I use about the airplane. You know, when the uh, flight attendant goes through, if we lose oxygen pressure and that mask comes down, put the mask on yourself first, then take care of the kid or the elderly person next to you, because in 20 seconds, you're going to be out of oxygen. So you need to take care of yourself if you're going to take care about this.
1: That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, and I, I think, you know, those that, really strive to, you know, do their best in the organization. And when you hope everybody goes to work is doing their job because they're passionate about it, they want to do it. And I think there's, there can be, as you've said, this tendency is we care about everybody else first before ourselves. And, you know, you, you have to, you have to give yourself that's that space. And I would imagine a good manager of that supervisor is also a um, communicating the culture of the organization and his or her expectation that you need to take some time and take care of yourself as well as taking care of your staff too.
0: One of the examples I frequently use when I talk about um, self-care, and one of the items using anyone's self-care plan is you have vacation time, use it. And I think a technique that a lot of supervisors use is, well, I'll take the long weekends. I'll take a Friday and Monday. And I said, you know, I had a very smart hospital president that said, I don't want you to be doing that, at least not regularly, because when you do that, you have the feeling you never less the play. And we had the feeling you're never here. We can't find you when we want you because it's that one day of the week. And she insisted that uh, we had to take at least a two-week vacation continuously. Uh, And I did that kicking and screaming uh, my first year uh, when I I did that. went to Vermont, and I remember after the first week, I finally started to relax. Uh, And so I stressed with with the – folks that i talk about self-care that you know a a weekend here a long weekend is good but you know at some point you need a break from the organization to recharge your batteries and you need some time when you start that to decompress yourself before you can start really recharging so one week is probably not enough
1: you know you mentioned that the workshop so with the book i mean each one of these chapters in the book i mean joe we could do a podcast in each one of these chapters And I'm curious about the workshop. How is this structured and how are you taking what you have in the book and translating that into a workshop? And who are your targets for that workshop?
0: Yeah. Well, it um, it started, again, going back to straight and narrow. That HR director, then, once the book came out, said, well, you have to come into a workshop here. So we talked about uh, the book, the chapters in it. What seemed, uh, from her point of view as the HR director now and the the new executive director, what did they want me to emphasize? So I came up with a 90-minute PowerPoint that that I used from there. Uh, And it was so well-received, and I was interested in trying to really get the word out about my book. So, again, I went back to a network I was comfortable with. So I emailed all the uh, Catholic charities executive directors in the United States And said, Look, you know, I wrote this book. You know about it. I have this boilerplate workshop that I developed. I'd be happy to tailor it for you. I don't want anything for my time. If you pay my transportation, then I'll come and do it. And I've done it now and it's can be as short as 90 minutes and as long as four and a half hours. So I sit down and talk with the CEO or in some cases, the HR person or the training person. Uh, I review their mission and their, I start with every organization. I review their mission and their values of what I call the sacred documents right. uh, of the organization. Uh, and then I try to work that into the chapter on mission fit uh, in the workshop then I'll go forward uh, with whatever they wanted to emphasize. And sometimes it's also been a negotiation like uh, the last one did, wasn't pushing me to do self-care, but I felt it was so so important. I said, I'd like to put that in. So they said, okay. So I've had a two-hour version, a three-hour version. The longest has been a four-and-a-half-hour version. And, and one agency, they said, well, as long as we got here, you here for the day, would you do some one-on-ones with employees if they wanted to? And so that was included in the day. And two employees had signed up before the workshop. Two more after the workshop uh, then signed up that they wanted to sit down and get a one-on-one consultation about uh, uh challenges in their position and moving forward. And that's where the whole idea of coaching came up. One of the people said, well, you know, I think it would be good to have a coach. Can you refer me to someone? So at that point I referred her to ICF, but that got me looking at Lincoln. There's LinkedIn. There's a lot of coaches there. So I started reading. And, and so now this has just gotten added to the future workshops.
1: It's really amazing how this one little trickle into the stream and, and the effect it has and how, how it's growing and you kind of look back and like, whoa! I didn't expect that. And now you're you're out there. You've got this great book. You're you're helping a, a whole stream of individuals that need the help. And because you know, you filled that gap with the book and now the workshop. And so it will be very interesting to see how you continue to evolve in your work. I suspect there's no such thing as retirement in Joe Duffy's life. No,
0: I I think I've been working harder than ever, but not the headache of keeping the lights on or the place burning down. It's uh, doing stuff I just like to do.
1: That's fantastic. Before I let you go, Joe, uh, I am curious. Is there a success story or an anecdote that you've heard from someone that has taken either – the the chapter in the book or some information that informed the chapter in the book that really, you know, you heard about either directly or anecdotally that, wow, this was fantastic. You know, this, this was my issue. This book was, and the information in it was, was the solution I was looking for. And this is what happened.
0: I think two, if I could quickly, one, Hmm. having to do with that, chapter on decision making uh, and in that chapter, we talk about and I have a little um, slide I use when I do the workshop of the uh, ostrich with its head in the sand that you need to make decisions in your your work life can 't ignore problems uh, you have to uh, f- head, head on face them and involve people in that decision making process and uh, one of the um, Nice things that was said. I I was temporarily running one of our sister organizations uh, when someone was out sick. And I'm trying to be a little bit vague because I don't want to identify people here. Uh, But at the first staff meeting, one of the staff there had worked for me in other agencies. She already knew me pretty well she got up and said, you know, we've had more decisions in the past three weeks than we've had in the past three years. Uh, you know, hearing about people that were struggling with decisions about whether to create a new position or not or, or develop a new program or not, uh, while well, there was analysis paralysis going on. And I had a couple of stories like that in the other organizations of Catholic charities uh, that sometimes someone's approach is uh, not to rock the boat, not to change things. We've done it this way forever, so let's keep doing it. It's working. You know, it's, it's not necessarily working, but it could work better. So... That decision-making story was one. The other one was my volunteer work in Africa. I got an email from uh, the HR person at the... Katie Sayu, uh, the Karagwe District Cooperative Union, it was a coffee cooperative I worked with, sending me some pictures. So we, On my last trip there, I went up into the mountains and visited with the local co-ops and um, talked about uh, trying to come up with a, a unified uh, mission statement. And so they were showing me, posted on all the bulletin boards uh, over this about a 70 square mile area, the mission statement that had what we call the main thing. So each uh, of those local co-ops uh, had come up with their own sub-mission statement. What's the main thing we're going to do to be faithful to this mission? Uh, and so they said that's the reminder every day when they come to the office, they go by the bulletin board and they see that, and that helps them to focus on mission.
1: Wonderful stories, wonderful stories, and the you know just the the importance of the you know the culture of the organization and what they stand for so that it's more than just a reminder that's on, that's posted to a wall, but which is I've worked for organizations like that. You know, they put the mission on the wall, values on the wall, and that's all they do. Right. They don't, they don't live it. And it sounds like this organization, you know, in, at these cooperatives they're they found ways to demonstrate how they're living it, living the mission as well. And that's exactly wonderful, wonderful story. Joe, uh, we're about to to reach the end of our time. I want to make sure that our listeners can learn more about you and your work. We're going to put a link to your book, you know, being a supervisor 1.0 handbook for the new aspiring and experienced supervisors. So we'll have that link from Amazon on the podcast page. Are there any other ways that if folks want to learn more about you and your work that they can, um, find you
0: they're welcome to email me uh duffy j112 at outlook.com if they google the book they'll find the bio information there and if they have any questions about that or anything in the book i really lo- love to uh, hear from books that's, that's one of the thing one of the things that frustrates me is when i've done the workshops and you know, people I've been very positive about it and heads are nodding when I said in the back of the book there, there's information about Amazon to do a book review. We could do it, and the heads are nodding and very few have done it. So uh, I really love to hear pe- pe- from people uh, in the feedback because that's going to inform me the next edition or the next book.
1: And by the way, when I was looking on the Amazon site, it, the number escapes me, but it was like 38 or 48 reviews and they were all five and four stars. That's nothing to. Uh, uh, that's something to write home about I should say I mean so congratulations on that thank and you. and for filling the gap in the in the whole leadership supervisory management space thank you so much for being with us Joe so folks uh for my uh, co-host Randy Ford this is Howard Fox just remember wherever you are whatever you're doing go out there and have a phenomenal day
0: Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.